Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio show, sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Buck, uh, probably more has happened this week in North Carolina football in quite a long time. Your overall thoughts on maybe the biggest news aside from Mac Brown's press conference, I guess, a week ago on Tuesday? Well, um, the biggest story, one that I'd like to move on from, is the hire and non-hire of Greg Robinson as uh, the defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator um, at UNC. And uh, there are conflicting stories about all this, uh, but the bottom line is that um, he was somebody that was considered for the job and did not get the job. Our information was that he was hired. He was in the building uh, at UNC. He was conducting meetings with assistant staff members, identified within the building as the defensive coordinator. That's not UNC's story. Um, their story is he was interviewed and then they decided to look elsewhere. Um, so, uh, but getting past that, which it was a huge deal last week. Um, the more interesting stuff now is the, uh, Our coordinator right, searches. I, I got somebody else on that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the coordinator searches, I think is, is the big news this week will be the big news this week. And um, the update that we gave last night, or actually yesterday afternoon, um, is that uh, North Carolina is kind of zeroing in on Mike Sanford, uh, coach two years, head coach at Western Kentucky for two years, and just recently fired November 25th. Before that, he was sort of an offensive uh, coordinator, Wunderkund, uh, at um, Boise State, and then uh, later on uh, at Notre Dame. Um, uh, A young, bright, offensive mind, and also known to be a relentless recruiter. Um, He has identified and landed some big targets for Notre Dame, although recruiting to Notre Dame is a different animal than recruiting to UNC. But... uh, you know, he, he pulled a kid out of Pennsylvania who, uh, a five-star kid, I think, that had Penn State, you know, in his, written in his diary since he was like four years old. And um, Sanford went in there and pulled him out. Young, dynamic guy, very personable. Um, and North Carolina's coaching staff could definitely use some young blood, although they did get Dre Bly. We could probably talk about that too, but. Um, the great and then, and, the and then there, um, well, we'll get around to that, Jason, to get past the coordinator thing is that they're still in talks with, uh, Mississippi state defense coordinator, Bob Shoup and, um, you know, Stacy Searles at Miami is a name that's popped up as a possible OL coach, but, uh, whatever positions they have left remaining that they have not filled as of yet, uh, they uh, they think the coordinators or the thinking is that the coordinators will uh, have the deciding vote 
on uh, who gets to be fill those remaining spots. So um, I think that's kind of where we are uh, at this point. Yeah, I think the other piece of big news was getting Tim Brewster, which I was joking with someone uh, when it, it looked as if they might hire Mac Brown uh, as head coach. And uh, I was joking and I said, it's very possible that if they hire Mac Brown, Tim Brewster will beat him to Chapel Hill. <laughs> um, and you did, and you said that uh, well, Bruce always loved Brown retired. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we, you know, he's uh, he has a house in Chapel Hill. He's had it there for years. Uh, he's made it known he wants to return to UNC for a very, very long time. Um, I think he you know reached out to Larry Fedora several times, and uh, for whatever reason, Fedora didn't seem like that was a good idea. So. Uh, but when his uh, old buddy Mac came on, on the scene, uh, it, it seemed to me like that would have been a done deal. Uh, Mac gave him his start in uh, college football. Uh, the story goes that uh, him drove down to Chapel Hill in like 1989 or 1989-1988, and uh, had never coached anywhere, done anything at all, and uh, somehow hunted down Mac and, and persuaded him to give him a job as an unpaid volunteer. Um, and that's how he got his start in, in college football. So, anyway, I think those are the big news. I think Tim Cross is a decent hire at defensive line. We could talk about I, him. We I, could I, talk I, about Trey Bly. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Jason now because he wants to talk about Tim Cross and Dre Bly. So I'm, I'm going to let him go. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think both of those hires are excellent hires. Uh, so you know, I talked to uh, to somebody who who knows defensive lines better than I do. Uh, you know, somebody who who really knows knows that that uh, that world and and some of those coaches well. And he was very you know he was he was very positive about the uh the hire of cross and felt like you know that that was a guy it's like listen he 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 knows how to he knows how to coach guys uh who don't necessarily have the great talent look at what he's done where he's at and you know in terms of technique all that stuff he's a guy you want uh and i've i've talked to dre bligh and everybody at Carolina knows who Dre Bly is. But one thing is being a great player doesn't necessarily mean you get it in terms of teaching, in terms of connecting and all that. I'm confident Dre Bly is going to be able to do all that. So you add that to – that's that's Dre Bly. You add that to that, and that's also a really good hire, and it's a hire that's going to go really well in terms of recruiting the state of North Carolina. So, uh, you know, and, and again, Dre is not a guy who's just a recruiter. He can coach. Uh, and he can communicate, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be a good asset on the field as well. So, uh, so I think both of those are excellent hires so far. And you know, Brewster, Brewster's got a, a really good re- reputation, and he's a guy, and he's a former head coach as well. You know, you got to have those guys on your on your staff, guys who can help with the organizational side, who know, you know, a little bit about running a program and all that, and he can help support that as well. And a guy who knows Mac and has, has coached with Mac before. Uh, and can really can really provide support. Uh, plus, you know, 
between Mac and brew, you know, I, I, I can, I can totally identify with guys who've uh, spent their time in, at Florida state and also spent time in, uh, in Chapel Hill. So uh, that's two more guys who've been Knowles and also, and also uh, Tar Heels. So I'm, I'm also feeling more and more at home with this coaching staff in that regard. Jimbo, so. Jimbo certainly loved him some Tim Brewster, apparently. Uh, oh yeah. You know, he was, now, there, he now, was there like there five were, years and, and then went, followed him to A&M. Uh, yeah. There were, there were, you know, there was some tension there between Jimbo and, and Brewster at different points uh, where Brew got frustrated at times, uh, which I think is part of why as soon as Matt got back in the game, it was like, Hey, I, you know, that's a guy I want to coach with. And, you know, he not only gets a chance to come back to Chapel Hill, which as you said, Buck, he's wanted to do, but he gets to coach with a guy that he knows he's going to gel with, uh, you know, in every way. So that, that also is a factor, I think, but, um, you know, again, he, he's a guy who's been with Jimbo Fisher, who I think is one of the best offensive minds in the game, in the college game. Um, you know, Nick Saban has said, said as much. So I guess, you know, Nick is, is a better testimony to that than I am, but uh, that's a guy who's been in the, in the meeting room with Jimbo for the last five, six years. So that gives you another, another, you know, lot, not just the head coaching experience, not just coaching with Mac, not just all the years of experience. And, you know, he's a, he's a good recruiter. It's, you know, you're bringing in somebody who's also been, been around a lot of game planning with, you know, with, with someone who, uh, who also is one of the better minds in the game and should be able to bring, help bring some of that to the, uh, to the, to the meeting room. But let me ask you uh, your column on Monday and just for folks to understand, we're recording this Monday evening, December 3rd. And I tell you that because I don't want you to listen to this podcast on Tuesday and something's already happened and think we recorded on Tuesday. This is Monday evening. Um, You'll get this podcast later tonight or in the morning. um, If you're subscribing to our podcast feed on various services, but, but let me ask you on Monday, you talked about um, built to recruit or your column was in that vein. And I want to have a little discussion here amongst us. All three is recruiting versus coaching. I mean, you, you've got to have both, I think, to really be successful. But where does the – I think I know where the line lies, but where does the line lie for you as far as where do you want uh, – do you want a coach that can recruit better than they can coach, uh, somebody that can coach it up? It, talk to me about that, Buck. You start it, and then, Jason, I want your thoughts as well because that's a lot of – a lot of people have talked about Matt Brown coming back. He had to hire young, dynamic. Uh, staff, recruiters, um, coordinators, coaches, where does the line lie on each individual coach you think about? Well, I'd say this for starters, that any person that's an assistant football coach at a Power 5 or G5 university or anywhere really that doesn't understand that recruiting is the lifeblood of any football program doesn't belong in the business. I mean, that's number one. I mean, they got to know that um, for them to be better coaches, it really helps to have better players. Uh, so, and I, this, <laughs> the, the, the second thing I would say is that um, I, I think coaches often, probably more often than uh, people realize, get unfairly labeled as a quote-unquote recruiter or quote-unquote uh, chalkboard guru 
you know, if you can't do it all at this level, chances are you're not going to last at this level. Um, you've got to know what you're doing on the chalkboard. You've got to know what you're doing on the practice field. You've got to know what you're doing in the film room. And you've got to be a relentless recruiter. Um, because if you're not all those things, whoever you're working for will find somebody that is in, in nine cases out of ten. So, you know, I, I think we probably paint these guys um, a certain way. And uh, some, sometimes that has to do with, uh, you know, we can see, you know, who who gets credited with, uh, uh, you know, getting big-time recruits and who doesn't and, and who uh, noticeably is unable to get uh, signed recruits that are in their area or at their position. Um, so, you know, those things add up and they count and they, they go into record book like anything else. But um, uh, number one, they've got to tell you first thing you ask them, what's the most important thing to you? And their first answer should be recruiting is the lifeblood of every college football program. And, and you know, they've got to be tireless workers. They've got to be relentless. You know, they've got to be personable. They've got to be outgoing. They've got to be all those things to be successful. So um, that's where I would come out. Jason, I want to get your thoughts on that with a little twist to the question. But first of all, I want to talk about HeelsTravel.com. They're one of our sponsors, and they're the easiest way to book travel to a big UNC away game that's coming up. Right now, you can go to HeelsTravel.com. They're offering a package to Chicago to see Carolina take on Kentucky on December 22nd. It's one of the biggest games of the college basketball season. You can go up there. You can stay at the Omni. You can stay at the hotel where the team will be. You can be in Chicago during Christmas. You can experience Michigan Avenue during the Christmas time. might be a little cold, but it's a beautiful place. And you also get to see North Carolina and Kentucky on December 22nd. So go to HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. Like I said, great chance to see the Hills on a huge stage against a great opponent. Round trip airfare, two nights Chicago Omni. HillsTravel.com now, 336-855-0060 to book that trip. Jason, your thoughts on individual coaching you know, himself versus the line maybe for the staff? I mean, in your opinion, does everybody on the staff need to be a, a good recruiter or top flight recruiter, or can you have a mixture of both? Well, for one thing, I don't think – you you never want to make a choice on am I am I hiring a recruiter or a coach? If you have to make that that choice, then you shouldn't hire that guy. Because you, you have to you have to have a guy that, that's doing both. You have to have a guy that can coach and attract the talent to coach. I mean, listen, I I I was I was at Florida State under Bobby Bowden, and Bowden has always said the secret to his success was having better players than the other team. And, and so, you know, Buck is 100% right that you have to get the talent in the program first in order to be able to make something of them. But the thing is you can have all that talent. We see it every year. Look at USC the last few years, top five uh, recruiting classes over and over and over again in five lost seasons, six lost seasons. You got to be able to coach them and you got to be able to coordinate them. 
You got you have to be organized. So it's not an either or, uh, but you have to. You, you know the 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 thing is you can't win without talent. You have to you have to recruit. And so when it comes to priorities, I think the main thing is to just make sure you hire someone who first of all has more personality than you know a uh, 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 split rail fence. You know, you got to have somebody who has who who can actually sit down and have a conversation with someone as a as a as a normal human being who can show interest in what other people are interested in, who can sit and listen to parents in a in a living room and make people feel comfortable. Who's comfortable working with kids and building some sense of relationship. That's those are all the things you need to do to be, you know, to, to be. uh predisposed to being a decent enough recruiter. I mean, that, that's really a lot of what that's about. And if you can't build relationships with, with kids like that, then you're not going to be a very good coach either because guys aren't going to want to listen to you if they don't believe you love them, if they don't believe that you actually are out there for their, for their good. So, yeah, that's, that, that, you have to look at that. You know, if, the, if the person doesn't have the, the enough person, personality or personability to to actually relate to people then you know it's not really a good option and beyond that recruiting is just effort recruiting is the guy that's going on the road and driving those extra 200 miles to hit those two high schools up and make sure that you know he's there and spending a little extra time with that head coach at the on 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 that high school campus and you know and being there to you know say hello to this recruit who's you know, willing to put the extra hours into social media and making sure that, you know, he's keeping track of, of players and making sure that everything that, that these players have contact and that they're caught and that he's calling. That's just effort. So, it, you know, that, that again gets to what Buck's saying on when you ask, you know, what's your priority? Well, it has to be recruiting. You have to like you have to put the hours in, you have to put the effort in. So those are the things that are really not optional. You have to hire somebody who's got enough of a personality to do to to actually be winsome and then who's going to be enough of a worker to stay on the road and stay after it. If you've got that then then that's when you get those are the, the you know you have to have that. After that then you you hire a coach. You hire you can't just go and get somebody who has those two things. You have to start and say, can this guy coach the position that I want him to coach in the system that I want him to, co- to, to coach in? Because that's the other thing. A, a good coach in, say, one system may not actually gel well with the coach or coordinator of another system. You have to hire somebody who's going to gel well with the, with the staff and with the approach that you're doing. A guy that, co- that you know coaches two-gap defensive tackles really well may not be a great guy to coach one-gap penetrating scheme. So, you know, you have to match match that with what you want, but you have to hire a guy who can coach and teach the position. And then you look at those other two things as the, I'm fine. I found a coach that I, that I know can coach that and can be successful doing that. Now I look at those other things and those are check boxes without, without both of those check boxes happening, that guy, that guy ain't getting hired. So that's how I'm doing it. You have to hire a coach and that coach has to have those two check boxes beyond that. Does he? Does every coach on your staff have to be an elite recruiter, a guy who you know is going to blow up 
Twitter like like a Tim Brewster or you know who's going to be you know constantly uh, visible as a recruiter. No, you need a couple of those guys, but the rest of the guys just need to be consistent and put in the work and just be good enough people that they can earn the trust of families. It's as simple as that. Buck, Jason brought up a point in there, and it's something that I, I see discussed on the message boards all the time. And you know, in reality, I, I would say the everyday Carolina football fan or any college football fan doesn't really have a clue as to what um, Joe assistant coach that might be hired at North Carolina did at every stop on the way to North Carolina. But on the message boards, it's a big topic about, you know, we talked about Sanford and he didn't have a very good tenure at Western Kentucky. So some people are hesitant, um, even though it's, uh, that was a head coaching job versus a coordinator or a coaching or a assistant coaching job. So how much does that matter? And I think Jason, you started to explain it about being able to meld a system or hiring a coach that gels with what you're trying to do. But how much does it matter to find those guys um, that no matter what they may have done in previous stops, good or bad, how much does that matter when building a cohesive coaching staff? Well, I, I, uh, you lost me with a cohesive piece, but uh, as far as the uh, argument that, well, he failed at Western Kentucky as a head coach, so you know, uh, I, I'm not necessarily crazy about him. Yeah, uh, there's a few names we could toss out there that might, you know, change your opinion about stuff. Um, Monty Kiffin was a disaster as a head coach. Uh, he was <laughs> he was god awful. But you know, despite the fact that he coached for a university that is not beloved by UNC uh, fans. He was a heck of a defensive coordinator. He has a legacy as a defensive coordinator that's this in the college game is, you know, you could put him in the same universe as a bunch of people underneath Nick Saban. I think Saban probably uh, owns a, uh, is Nick is one and everybody else is, you know, two and below. So, um, but Monty Kiffin was a heck of a defensive coordinator. And there's a bunch of other examples we could use uh, in that same fashion. Bob Shoup is a heck of a defensive coordinator. He's, he's about as good as you can get, really. Um, but did he uh, take Columbia to the heights of uh, Ivy League? No, he did not. Um, and and there, the... You can go almost coach by coach by coach and look at some of the top offensive coordinators and top defensive coordinators in the game, and it, it, as they could have had a nasty fail as a head coach someplace else. So, uh, you know, that to me is not a huge factor. There are people that make for um, really good CEOs, and I would put, Mac Brown, for example, in that category. And, and there are people that make uh, that their mission or their skill set in life is coordinating an offense or a defense. And so, you know, he's been successful in the role, 
that uh, North Carolina is seeking for him to fill. And, and I think that's probably the only focus that uh, Tar Heel Nation should have is how to, has he done in the past in the position uh, in which North Carolina is seeking him out? Jason, uh, that cohesiveness is kind of like what you were talking about gelling with the overall philosophy. I think we'll agree that Vic Koenig's defense and what he tried to do on defense did not work with what Larry Fedora tried to do on offense. Um, at least it appeared not to. We'll put it that way. So, well, in, did, in, did any coordinator under Larry Fedora have success at North Carolina? Really? But that, that's why I said appears. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree that, with you, even though some would argue that Gene Chizik's was able to at least hold up. It, it held up, but you know, you look at the record of Chizik there versus where Chizik had been coordinator before. You start to notice that maybe, maybe there was something. Uh, you know that 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 uh, the head coach is responsible for the coordination of the two sides of the ball to reinforce one another, uh, and then the coordinators are responsible for taking care of their sides of the ball on that front. And it's one thing that Carolina was not ever really able to do under Fedora was to get the two sides to reinforce one another rightly. And so that wasn't I, just a defensive one defensive coordinator; it was all of them. Yeah, I mean there was there was some there there, um, and that there's not there now. So how important? is that blend if you could call it that i mean and, and when you're hiring coaches you're going out and uh seeking coaches to fulfill your to fill your slot your, your coaching staff how big a deal is that portion of it that portion alone of it we've talked about the coaching ability we've talked about the recruiting ability but it, the blend i don't know another way to put it the blend of cohesiveness and how tough is that to accomplish for a coach fulfilling or filling a staff? Yeah, it depends. Um, you know, some guys actually, they can coach in multiple schemes. And ideally, you hire those guys. Um, but some of it, it, it really does boil down to you have to give, uh, you, you, have, to, you have to find guys that, that as you're putting your staff together, you have to know kind of who you have in mind at different spots and try, try to, like Buck said, figure out who's had success in what kinds of roles and in what kinds of systems and all of that as you're setting the vision. So you know, okay, we, we want to run this kind of defense, so I'm going to hire a coordinator who runs this kind of defense. And then I may not have hired my coordinator yet, but I know I want these two guys because they can coach in that kind of defense and whoever I'm hiring, they're, they're going to be able to work with that guy. Cause I know who they are. And I know I need this guy for, for the recruiting relationships as well. So this is going to work really well. So that that's what you try to do. And it's an inexact science because you can hire guys that all fit in the right system or whatever. And then it just so happens that one of them just hates the other one. Right. I mean, for whatever reason, there might just be a personality conflict in there. And that, that might not be predictable. Now, some, some people basically can get along with just about anybody, uh, but that's not true for everybody. So, and again, it's a little bit of a crapshoot when you're putting a, when you're putting a staff together from the, you know, from the start, you know, sort of uh, from scratch, that's harder to do. And that's one of the reasons why you see coaches hire buddies all the time is I know what I'm getting here. 
I know I'm getting a guy that, that, that can go according to my vision that can get along with what I need to do and so on. And this is a good coach. And so, you know, there, there's a comfort level there. Uh, and that's, that's, that's another hard balance to strike is you want to hire people that you're going to be comfortable with, that are going to be comfortable with you, that are going to be comfortable with others. But if you hire only guys that are comfortable, you're not going to hire the best. Cause you know, I all of us, you know, everybody in the audience, everybody who's listening right now and all three of us, we know that when you're around somebody who's truly great at something, at times that person's going to make you uncomfortable when, when you're actually working with that person or whatever, because there's, they're, they're just going to be out there far enough where it's like, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to catch up. So you and again, Tommy make an me uncomfortable science, all the time. That's not true. <laughs> Fuck you, love me. Don't even say you have developed a fondness for me you didn't know you had hanging out with me during football season. Just a minute. It, it, just your greatness intimidates me, though, is what I'm saying. There. <laughs> yeah, that is. I intimidate nobody. Uh, my ba- baseball players call me the wizard because of my gray hair and beard. Jason, we didn't mean to cut you off. You were making us uncomfortable with you. No, I, I was done. I mean, I, I think that's <laughs> I think that's good. And 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 again, when I'm working with the best, I expect to be cut off once in a while, just a little bit, because you know, y'all, y'all, y'all got something to to say, and and you know, if it's going to make me a little uncomfortable, I'm all for it. I will well, say, you, this. you know, let me chime in, Tommy, or I'll let you chime in. Go ahead and you chime in, because we need to hear more, Tommy Ashley. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, let me. Get we my need talk. more. Less Tommy, more Buck. Let me get my words in, and then I'm turning it completely over to you. I think <laughs> that uh, the last three months of doing these podcasts has made us more friendly and more happy in, in some sort of uh, inverse way because we probably laughed and cut up more on the podcast in the last month uh, than we <laughs> ever have. So, uh, But before I, I do uh, concede the microphone, I do want to talk about Jersey Mike Subs of chapel hill they are our title sponsor of this podcast and they offer this great deal for inside carolina listeners go to jerseymikes.com front slash order locations nearest you pick one of the chapel hill area locations or that chatham county store and enter the code heels 15 at checkout get 15 percent off your entire order you can skip the line head straight to the register and you can grab food on your on your way out app ordering has become the thing and Jersey Mike's is no different. JerseyMikes.com front slash order. When you're in the Chapel Hill, Chatham County area, pick one of those five stores. Order from them. Get that order in. Order as much as you want. Order as little as you want. But get that code HEALS15 and you get 15% off it. Jersey Mike's was in Keenan Stadium with the, and with the tail guys this last fall. They support the IC podcast. And for you as a listener... Save that 15% off with the code HEALS15. But take it away and continue to talk more about our budding relationship. <laughs> well, a, a lot of that uh, comes from uh, hours at a tailgate drinking refreshing adult beverages. So, you know, that, <laughs> that can facilitate the bonding process. But where I was going to go as far as that cohesiveness stuff goes uh, and, and what Jason was talking about is that it, the head coach makes a difference, right? Uh, if if you've got someone like Matt Doherty who is going to stomp his feet and yell at you and and get on your butt and, and tell you you're no good and you're not doing what you need to be doing, 
you look up in the in the rafters and and Doherty doesn't have any banners hanging up there. When Roy Williams tells you the same thing, you pay attention. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the gravitas of the head coach makes a difference when when he steps into a room and he, he looks around and he says, "Okay, all you other guys." need to check your egos at the door. You know, I'm allowed to have an ego. You guys are not. And so we're going to work together as a team. We're going to uh, put all our heads together. Best ideas win, right? Whoever has the best idea is going to win every conversation. But it's going to be my voice that decides what that best idea is because I'm the head coach. Yep. And and so, you know, I think that some of that comes into play. And, and I think that the thing that Larry Fedora did not have was that gravitas, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It's like he just didn't care. And an illustration of that is in his first year at UNC, he had basically hired Dan Dish as the defensive coordinator, who was his defensive coordinator at Southern Miss. And then Vic Conan suddenly became available and he hired Vic Conan and that first year they were on the job. Nobody really knew who was running that defensive room. Was it, it certainly wasn't Larry Fedora and they weren't sure it was Vic Conan and, you know, Dan dish had his voice. And so there was just no, none of what I've just been previously talking about, which is, Best ideas win, but I'm going to get to decide what those are. And all of y'all just need to put your egos, you know, in the trash can outside the door of the meeting room. And, and let's get on with, with making the best product on the field that we can. So, you know, I, I think those things make a difference as far as cohesiveness done. And if the head coach tells the defensive coordinator who wants the offense to use two minutes and 30 seconds every play, Look, we're going to have to need to go a little faster than that. And, and you know, it tells the offensive coordinator that wants to snap the ball every two seconds. Wait a second. We, we probably need to slow it down at times, a little, you know, a little bit more than that. Um, so, you know, that's my decision. And, and you just need to figure out a way to make that decision work with the personnel that we have. Um, you know, I, I think those kinds of things factor into it more so than you know, what people generally consider uh, to be the case. So um, I'm in the presence of greatness. I'm just going to be quiet now. And, and I'm going to reinforce what you're talking about, about that gravitas. Um, the, uh, the, the, other th- the other side to this, too, is that your coordinators need to have that. So your coordinators need to have a little bit of that gravitas, a lot of that gravitas as well, in part with their own, with their own staff, you know, under, under them and with their players. That was actually an issue that Jeff Bowden had when I played for Jeff is Mark Rick left. And when Mark Rick talks, his players listened, players would jump or he'd say jump and they wouldn't even ask how high they just jump as high as they could. And Jeff didn't command that respect. And you call the same plays, but you wouldn't get the same results. We ran the same plays, still run 44, 
still run pass 44 bench, still run pass 44 takeoff. You know, our, our pass 44 takeoff, same route. Our pass 44, uh, our pass 44 demon, same, same concept. Well, guess what? The gravitas matters and it matters with your players. It matters from the head coach and it matters from the coordinators. You need to have three guys that when they walk into the room, they can take control of it. And the two coordinators need to be willing to defer to the guy who has enough gravitas to make them do that. If you've got that, you got the makings of pretty dang good staff. So how do you, okay, Matt Brown has that. We would agree, yes. He has some gravitas. I do agree yeah, with that. Absolutely. Even, even in the podcast where, you know, you guys know this because we talked off air after that. Even in the podcast where I said, you know, I don't think Mac Brown would be a good idea. I, I, I acknowledge, listen, the guy can, he brings it when it comes to that. When it comes to the CEO ability, when it comes to the ability to fill a room and get people to listen when he talks, no question about that. So he just has I, to hire a great staff. That's been okay. my thing all along. All right. So how do coordinators that are not um, high P5 coordinators, though Bob Shute probably would qualify as a high-level P5 coordinator, how, but how does somebody like Sanford have that when he Sanford's walks into been a the head room? coach. I know, but what what gives you that? Being a head coach? Being a successful head coach? Talk to me about, in your opinion, what gives um, a coach, an assistant coach, the gravitas to, to come in a room and command respect. The part of it, Tommy is, you know, where has he been and what has he done? And, you know, uh, at Boise state, they, they seem to care about offense there. So I, I, I think that if you're getting a job at Boise state as an offensive coordinator, that gives you a little gravitas, even though you got the job when you were maybe 30 years old and Mike has been around coaching all his life. His dad has been a college coach low these many years. He was actually at Notre Dame as a quarterback's coach when Bubba Cunningham was there in 98, I suppose. Uh, Cunningham was there from 88 to 02. And so, uh, you know, I think uh, Mike Sr. was there for two years when Cunningham was at Notre Dame. And so for Brian Kelly, who's also not a slouch offensively, they're surveying the landscape and he plucks out um, Mike Sanford to run his offense for him, uh, which he did very successfully for two years. Uh, then, you know, I, I think those kinds of things also contribute to your uh, gravitas. But more so than that, I think there's an aspect of how you carry yourself. Dang straight. That's it. Um, how you carry That's yourself, it. how you carry yourself when you walk in the room, how you carry yourself when you're on the field, how you carry yourself in front of the players with in front of the other coaches. Uh, you, you know, this almost makes me think of your expression, Tommy, you get what you tolerate. And, you know, for <laughs> For, for somebody like Sanford, you know, he's going to carry himself in a certain way and, and the way he carries himself is going to command respect. So, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. Resumes, part of it, your training and upbringing goes into it. 
your experience goes into it. And more importantly, your character and the way you carry yourself among other people generally is, I think, maybe the deciding factor. Jason, you obviously agree there, but I guess where I'm coming from a little bit, I'm playing devil's advocate. A guy walks in the room, Billy Badass, if I can say that. I think I can. We're at least recording it after hours. It'll, it, it, it'll work. <laughs> he walks in the room like that. I'm the smartest guy in the room. But, you know, most likely he's not. That, Carolina's experienced that, I think. The um, Billy Badass, I'm the smartest guy in the room guy, is not the guy who's going to have that gravitas. He's not carrying himself well. That's if, right. If, if he's, See, if, if he's, you know, if he's portraying that attitude, you know, and um, I'm not going to cast aspersions on anybody unnecessarily, but I kind of think there was some of that going on with Matt Doherty as a basketball coach. Um, but that's different when I say how you carry yourself, that's different than just jumping up and down and stomping your feet and getting in people's faces. That's, that's, that's not right. what I'm talking about in terms of how you carry yourself, how you carry yourself is how you treat other people with respect. You listen, you consider their ideas, you're you have ears, you have two ears and only one mouth, and you know what ratio that is and how to use it. And then when you've made a decision, you've made your decision and you've let it know, you let, let it be known. This is, we're going to do it this way. And this is why I feel that way. And in a discussion, that's, we're moving on from there. You don't have to be um, a raven lunatic or twisting the necks off of chickens you know, to get people's attention. You have to be knowledgeable. If you have to do that, then you don't have it. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the thing. I mean, everything you're saying, Buck, is 100% right. If you have have to jump up and down and stomp your feet, we all had that that teacher in high school who wrote, wrote more kids up and, you know, threw more tantrums about the kids not paying attention or not doing whatever they wanted. And that person was not the one that could control the classroom. There was always that teacher, though, who didn't have to do much but just go quiet. And everybody would all of a sudden just fall into line. And that that, that latter person, that's the person who has it, see? And and so much of this is people can smell fake. Players can smell fake. Families can smell fake. And if you try to put this on – if you try to communicate that I'm going to be the confident, I'm, you know, I'm Billy Badass. I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to be, you know, I know what I'm doing. If you have to tell everybody that you know what you're doing all the time, then maybe you're, maybe you're, there's some insecurity there that you really don't think you know what you're doing. If you're not willing to listen to other, other options, other opinions and all of that, because, you know, you've made up your mind or whatever, and, and, you know, you're going to, you're just going to plow straight ahead. Then maybe you're worried that you're going to hear something or that somebody else is going to say something that other people is going to think is better than your idea. The person that has it is the guy that walks in, in total confidence, total control, but has, and, and, and is totally confident and knows what he knows, knows what he doesn't know. And is more than willing, more than comfortable enough in his own skin to say, okay, I know I'm good at what I do. 
but that doesn't threaten me to hire people who are better than me at this, who are smarter than I am. In fact, if I'm not hiring people that are smarter than I am, then I'm not doing my job. And so I want to make sure I'm not going to be threatened because I'm just going to do the best thing I know how to do. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in here. I'm going to be confident because I know I'm good at what I do. But at the same point, that means I'm confident enough to listen to other options and other opinions and let other people do what they do well. And as soon as you do that, dang, people, people see that and they, it's like a magnet. Like, okay, this guy not only is good at what he does, but is humble. Because that's what humility is. It's the willingness to listen to other people and to learn. And to actually, you know, be, be won over by somebody else on stuff. That, that all of a sudden, that changes the game. If you've got that, people will beat down their beat down your door to play to play for you to coach for you all of that other stuff if you if you have to communicate that no 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 i'm 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 the cock of the walk you know i'm i'm you know i'm i'm billy badass you know and you have to do all that then you don't have it but the the person who does the other thing that person's gonna gonna consistently be more successful and 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 there's a quiet confidence about that I know who I am. I know what I, I know what I bring to the table. I don't have to sit here and tell you. I don't have to sit here and defend myself about this. I'm just going to do it. And, you know, if you want to help and you've got something that, to offer that, that is better than what I've got in this area, I want to hear it because as soon as I recognize it, I'm going to turn that over to you. That, that, that's the guy. That's what, that's what, that's to me what, what really defines that kind of charisma when you walk in like that and there's no, there's no doubt that anybody has as to whether or not you believe you're competent. They see that, you know, that you're competent and there's no doubt that you're humble. And, and this is, I've had a couple examples of this with my own players this last year. I, I may, I, I put a kid in at one point for one of my starters. And then we, we, I didn't know what the, what the play call was there, but I, I subbed a guy out cause you know, I thought it was a appropriate time to do that. And this and the backup dropped dropped a ball that would have been a touchdown. And the starter came over to me and coach, you know, come on, man. You know, he took me out, you know, cost and I looked at him, I said, My bad, man. I cost you a touchdown. That's my fault. <laughs> and the look on his face that I didn't fight with him, that I didn't I just look, I, it's my bad. I didn't realize what we I didn't realize what, what we had on that. That's my fault. We'll get you one later. He just goes, okay, coach, I, you know, I, I got you. I got you next one. All right, good. But I wasn't going to defend, you know, I'm not going to defend myself when, I'm, when I made a mistake. And I'm going to cop to it. I made a mistake. My fault. Let's move on. And that, when I was willing to do that with my players, that earned, my players knew that I was, that, that I, that I earned their respect on that stuff. Right. When you've got coaches that are willing to do that, that makes a, that makes a huge difference. And to me, that's that's the it. If you have a coach that that lacks that, it's over. Great stuff. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I want you to uh, be the final word on this long show. And at some point down the line, we're going to talk in full about Matt Brown's full staff at North Carolina um, on one of these podcasts. But Buck, close the show with your wisdom. Well, you know, uh, as Jason was talking there, um, 
uh, I'm paraphrasing some big CEO. I can't remember who it was exactly, but some Fortune 500 CEO. And he said something along the lines is the way I prove I'm smarter than everybody else is to hire people smarter than I am. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that goes a long way towards, um, building out a staff, um, that, you know, can be successful. Um, I, I I don't know that coach Brown, uh, feels this in his bones, but he's got to know, um, being a smart guy, I think he's got some walking around sense that he doesn't know everything there is to know about college football at this particular moment in time. He's got to have people around him that do and, and to seek out those people and get them on his staff. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. It, uh, I'm encouraged by some of the, the hires that he's made and some of the hires that he made and didn't unmade. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but you know, I, I think he's going to move pretty quickly, especially on the offensive coordinator side, because he's got some players hanging out there that he needs to get, an offensive coordinator in front of to, to prove to them that this is a guy that they want to play for. Um, and so I think it's going to probably move pretty quickly um, before the week's out. I think before Friday afternoon gets here, I think they'll probably have an OC on staff locked, signed, sealed and delivered and have him in front of other of uh, potential recruits. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it and goes. I'll have, some video, uh, think- I'll have some video of that guy's offense, some video breakdowns on Inside Carolina uh, shortly after some of that th- those hires go through during the offseason. We'll be looking at some of that stuff. So, Yeah, I'll hold your feet to that because I have gravitas, Jason. <laughs> Dang straight. See, and I just want to see them, so I hope you get them up sooner than later. Puck and Jason, it's always a pleasure to do a podcast with you guys, and um, I hope our listeners enjoy it. I know I do. I know you guys enjoy hanging out with me for an hour um, on your, yeah. Weeknights, but yeah, I agree. I, I enjoy it when Jason agrees with everything I say, that's, that's, that makes me happy. And he did that a lot to, on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I was, I was noticing that I was making notes. You're on a roll. You're on a roll, Buck. <laughs> Boys, we'll All talk right, guys. again. Enjoyed it. Yeah. When the staff's full, we will talk again and talk about them. Jet Buck, Jason, appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.